Check one, check two, check one, check two, check one, check two. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of our very sexy, very erotic second season of Human Becoming. I am so glad to have you here, and I invite you to get comfortable, and later to get uncomfortable. (laughs) Treat this listening session as a ritual. Grab a cup of tea, maybe light a candle, Offer some water to the ancestors or to the earth, or offer some water, I'm struggling with this word as you can tell, to your body. Water, water, it's hard with all my different pronunciations of things. Anyway, get a pillow, get snuggled into bed, really do whatever you need to do to support your body in this practice of deep listening. Today, we're going to start at the beginning, the very best place to start, childhood. (laughs) I'm going to be speaking about how I slowly lost connection with my little, dear, sweet inner child who loved pleasure and loved being in their body, but eventually shut down completely from their desires in deep shame. This is a story that many of us share. In one form or another, children have this amazing capacity to connect to their bodies and experience pleasure, but through trauma and shame and societal messaging, often are encouraged to disconnect. And then we wonder how we ended up in a society of disembodied adults. That's enough preamble. I'm going to get right into the story. And I encourage you to think about where this story touches your own, and how your relationship to your body, your sexuality, and your pleasure has changed and transformed throughout your lifetime. The year is 2005. I'm seven years old. My mom has just gotten home from a self-development course where participants were encouraged to ask their children what they wanted to do with their life. Or, more accurately, the famous question, what do you want to be when you grow up? My brother, my mom and I sit down, and my mom turns to my brother and says, Quena, and asks the question. My brother exuberantly exclaims, I want to be president. Quena has stayed true to that ambition in many ways. He's worked in student politics and then Tswani politics for a few years now, and I have no doubt that if he wanted to be president, he could be. My mom then turns to me and says, Tumi, what do you want to be when you grow up? To which I, with glowing eyes, exclaim, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a porn star. Now, in many ways, I've stayed true to my ambitions as well. I now work in the field of sexual empowerment, and I have ambitions of owning my own porn production company and sex toy business someday. And as you know, I've worked as a cam artist and done sex work, which I've always loved and found to be incredibly rewarding. 
but I wasn't always as empowered as I am now around my sexuality. In fact, I would say I was most empowered as a child, and I am slowly trying to heal my way back to that exuberant, pleasure-loving, unashamed to me. So what happens in the middle? Well, a few things. As a kid, I was always interested in pleasure. I was always the one to suggest the game where we pretend to be married or are playing as grown-ups, where we could explore touch and sensation. I also loved to fantasize. From a young age, I was fascinated by all explorations of pleasure. And as a child growing up in the digital age, I was exposed to porn at a pretty young age. I don't hear a lot of people speaking about this, but I think it's really important to recognize because the erotic content that we see before puberty has a big impact on us. And if you grew up with access to technology and the curious mind of a child, there is a big chance that you explored that curiosity. I want to take a moment to deshamify here because I carried shame around my childhood curiosities for a long time, thinking that they made me dirty or perverse or weird or bad in some way. And if you have felt similarly, a word that I can never say, (laughs) you're not alone. And it's an experience that's much more common than your shame would lead you to believe. Anyway, I remember the first time that my mom caught me watching porn, and I remember her exact words when speaking to me. Do you want to be the kind of person that watches porn? My adult answer is yes, and also, what kind of person is that? But as a kid, I just felt incredible shame. There's a kind of person that watches porn, and based on my mom's tone, that's not the kind of person that I want to be. This was the beginning of my shutdown around my sexuality. Eventually, I also internalized the message that my exploration of pleasure, that my love for my body and other bodies and playing was bad and creepy and wrong. I want to add a note here that there is the added complexity of being queer and dealing with a bunch of internalized homophobia that tells me that my desires are unwanted and wrong, that any desire that falls outside of the confines of heterosexuality is wrong. There are so many shaming experiences that I can draw from from my childhood that left me with this underlying feeling, far too many to name here. But the point is, eventually, I internalized this core message about my sexuality that I have carried with me throughout my lifetime. That my desire is bad and too much and needs to be repressed. That my sexual expression and beingness is bad and too much and needs to be repressed. And finally, that my connection to my body and my love for my vulva, remember that story from season one? is bad and wrong and too much and needs to be repressed. (sighs) I'm trans and non-binary, but I was socialized as a girl. And the messaging that young people who are socialized in this way receive is brutal. 
Being socialized as a girl, I think there was even less room for my erotic beingness to be expressed. Young humans who are socialized as boys are given a bit more room to experience their erotic energy. Hello, boys will be boys, and oh, they're just being boys. They're allowed more room to experience desire because we live in a fucked up society that tells us that men are allowed to be sexual, women are not, and makes no mention of anyone outside of the gender binary. And so young humans who are told they are boys are allowed to explore, young humans who are told they are girls are not, and eventually we grow up to see this really imbalanced society where billions of humans have never been given license to be sexual beings. I also want to name here that there are so many damaging messages that young people who are socialized as boys experience about how they are allowed to be sexual, and that is often just as damaging. But that is not my direct experience, and as you know, here we talk about me. <laughs> but I wanted to name that, and that I am not saying that young people socialized as boys have it easy in any way. Gender and the limiting beliefs that surround it hurt us all. When I became sexually active around the age of 16, I had already experienced years of shutting down my sexuality, shutting down my erotic energy, shutting down my desires. I had experienced years of shame, of feeling like my sexuality and my desires are wrong and bad. I think I loved period dramas for that reason. This was my favorite genre of movie growing up. Because there's this tortured yearning, a wanting for something so much, even under layers of deep repression. And that's how I felt about my sexuality. I yearned so much for a connection to my body and to my erotic energy but there were so many layers that would have to be met and peeled back for that to happen. There are many things that helped me to heal and to do this peeling, and I'll speak about them throughout this season. But today, I want to speak about healing with the inner child and how that has helped me to transform my relationship with my sexuality. Even though for a long time I thought I could do the sexual healing solely with my adult self, it is my inner child who sustained these wounds, who received and internalized these harmful messages about their sexuality. Recently, I have been going back to play with this child and celebrate them, to let them know that their desires are beautiful and wanted and embraced and accepted, to let them know that I love how much they desire, I love the bigness of their desire and their wanting, and I'm ready to embrace them and all of their desires, fully. And now I'm beginning to reclaim those desires as my own, and it feels fantastic, and my heart breaks for all of those who have been raised in this society and have been denied their birthright of experiencing pleasure and sensuality shame-free in their bodies. 
We'll talk a lot about shame in this season, but I want to name one more thing. The more that I speak about sexuality, the more that I share my experience with other people, the more that I am open about my trauma and my shame and my fears and my desires, the more that I am met with, me too. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. I thought I was the only one who carried the shame. Essentially, I thought I was the abnormal one, and everyone else was normal, so I couldn't say anything to reveal myself. (laughs) And this is what shame tells us, that there is something about us, something wrong, something we cannot admit to, because if we did, other people would think we are, insert shame judgments, bad, wrong, dirty, weird, unworthy of love, unworthy of belonging, unworthy of being in connection. And so we shut down these parts of ourselves. We deny them, even to ourselves, and we tell ourselves that if anyone found out, if anyone knew this about us, there is no way that we could still be loved. There is no way that we could still be accepted. And so we sacrifice our authentic and genuine selves on the altar of acceptance which is very human. We have evolved in community. We need community to survive. And so any threat to our connections with other people can register to our nervous systems as a threat to our survival. And the truth is, when we show up and be brave and be vulnerable and fully ourselves, we don't always know if people will accept us People may shame us, and also people may not. People may say they cannot relate to what we're sharing, or they might say, me too. I believe that it is a risk worth taking in order to be seen, because we get to be who we are, and there is no greater gift than that. That is why, here in this container, I show up. And in season two, I will be pushing myself to show up even more fully and wholly and humanly and authentically than ever before. And you may shame me. (laughs) Or you may say, me too. And I'm willing to take that risk because it feels so much better to be the fullness and to embrace the fullness of who I am your opinion be damned, as much as I love you. And because I love you, I show up. Because I love you fiercely and totally. And I want nothing more for you than freedom. The freedom to be the fullness of who you are and the freedom to accept yourself, even the parts of yourself that you have told yourself no one, let alone you, can accept. And because I love you, I show up in this way so that you can know it is possible. It is possible to embrace the fullness of who we are and survive, despite what our anxiety might tell us. It is possible to not only survive, but to thrive. To live life in a way that you may not have experienced for a very long time. And If it is possible 
for me to come here and bear my soul, to spill out my guts and cry and share my deepest shames and have you accept me. Maybe it is possible for you to turn towards yourself, to cry, to spill out your guts and your shame, and to accept who you are too. And so, here's to showing up. Here's to embracing shame. Here is to embracing and speaking our whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I look forward to being on this journey of self-acceptance, uncomfortability, and discovery with you. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I'm going to end each episode with a human becoming is like sex line. And so people often say we wish the episodes were longer, but human becoming is like good sex. It leaves you wanting more. I look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, take good care.